controlled chaos. All right. <laughs> I just wanted to give the kids a chance to interact a little bit today. Um, and so that was a little fun, but probably chaotic. But yeah, that's how the Romans would eat. So when you hear this reclined at the table all the time, typically when you come in and Jesus will talk about this a little bit later, you would sit, you know, you typically sit here. There'd be a basin of warm water. You know, where are they living? What kind of climate are they living in? Arid, dusty, deserty, high desert, they call it. So they get snow. It's really beautiful to see pictures of Jerusalem covered in snow. But so their feet, they're in sandals, they're dirty. And you don't want to track that all over your house or the wife of the house will hit you with a broom or something. So um, you would take off your sandals and then someone, usually a slave or someone, would wash your feet to make sure if you get up and walk around, you're not going to track dirt everywhere, right? And then you would just kind of recline back at the table. Oh, it's time to eat. Oh, I feel like I want to watch a movie with some popcorn now. And you'd have food on the table, be a little bit lower, and you would just eat and talk. Yeah, hey, how's your day? I mean, I feel like this is really relaxing, but I feel like I'd choke if I was drinking or something, but I'm pretty clumsy. Or nowadays I would just do this and fall asleep, so that'd be great. <laughs> but that's the way they ate back then, and it was common in high Roman society to eat that way because they thought it was better for your digestive system. And I'm not sure they've disproven that. Um, maybe they have, but so when you see in the Bible that they reclined at the table or they reclined to eat, that's exactly what it meant. And that was really common back in those days. And I just wanted you to have a little picture of that because here's, this is a beautiful and incredibly awkward story that was recorded, a little piece of history recorded in the Bible that I want to read to you now. So let me back back up to, whew, to verse 37 in Luke 7. There was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume and standing behind him, so she would come over here and maybe standing behind him. They wouldn't have these seat backs here. It was more of a sofa. I noticed that um, if you go to a furniture store now, this is becoming common where you see a sectional sofa and one of them um, just has like a big cushion that sticks out at the end of the couch and then an arm up here or something, but this doesn't have arms. Well, that's going back to the Roman style, actually, because she could be here and standing behind him, but at his feet, she was crying and she began to wet his feet with her tears because there was no water here, right? So she just was crying because she knew she was a sinner. She knew her place in society, what she had done. She was sorrowful and crying. And then tears were falling on his feet. And she had ha long hair and kept wiping his feet with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. An incredibly awkward scene, right? incredibly awkward. Now, I have a confession to make. I once got a manicure and a pedicure at a spa with my wife. The manicure was awesome. Men, I'm telling you, it was awesome. You just got to get one. I got clear. I didn't go crazy, all right? But it, my fingers felt so good for like a week, right? But I discovered, even though I have decent feet, I do not like people touching my feet. I, I don't know why even. So when this woman was giving me the pedicure, I'm like, are we done? Can, can this be done? I'm fine now. I'm just, thanks. That feels great. Get out. You know, kind of thing. And so, 
So the idea of foot washing for me is, I just would not want that. It's awkward. And maybe that's why I'm reading this scene is so awkward. But you have, also have to back up and think about what I've told you. Imagine this in your home. You have, you've invited a, a family over from church or a buddy over from church to have dinner. You, uh, you have different ideas about what following Jesus is, but in general, you guys agree. And um, you'll probably talk about that tonight over dinner, just you and him or you and her. And it'll be, you know, really great conversation. You kind of like hanging out with this person. So you go sit at the dining table and uh, all of a sudden you left the front door open on accident. Mistake number one, right? And all of a sudden this woman from your neighborhood who you see coming through all the time, like talking to herself or... She's, she's dressed up and looks like she might be doing some illegal things or whatever it is. You know, it's just someone that you really just don't want to associate with and kind of wish she wasn't in your neighborhood kind of thing. All of a sudden, while you're sitting at the table, she comes around the corner from the front door and she's in your house. And then she goes over to your buddy from church and she starts crying, right? And... and in Jesus' day, because of the custom of the day with the foot washing, she would start washing his feet. Well, that was the job of a slave, a house servant. Slaves, as we think about them now, are very different than slaves in the Bible. Those were just uh, kind of indentured house servants. They were paid for what they were doing and, and often stayed there because they loved living with the people that paid them. And so that was the job of a servant. You know, the, the person of the house would call in a servant and say, hey, can um, we have a guest? Can you go ahead and take care of them? And they would know, oh, get some warm water, get some towels, get some, okay, let's do this. And while they're talking, they'd be wiping their feet. But this woman comes in, and she just starts, she, she, she has Jesus' feet, because they're kind of sticking out on the, on the recliner, recliner, and she sees they're dirty, and she just starts crying because, you know, she had to feel weird too, right? Coming into the house uninvited. But she knew, she had seen Jesus around and she knew who he was. And everybody kept saying, he seems to pay more attention to people that are oppressed and poor and hurting and sinners. And he's really making the highfalutin religious people kind of mad because he's not hanging out with them. And he doesn't kind of like the rules and stuff they have set. And so she comes in. She's like, I'm just going to take this chance. It's Jesus. I mean, it's Jesus. And she goes in and she's in awe of his presence and just starts weeping because she feels, I, I think of Isaiah when he was transported to heaven. And the first thing he does is fall on his face and yell out, um, you know, I can't be here. I'm a sinner of unclean lips. You know, he was just ashamed of his life, hit the impurity of his life set into heaven physically and I think that's what's happening with her she comes in and it's just surreal maybe she just wanted to talk to Jesus right but she's overwhelmed by his presence and starts crying now the other thing that's interesting here culturally is we know historically that um, women prostitutes kept their hair long and kept it down and so women that weren't, because the prostitutes did, they tended to keep their hair um, tied all the time. Plus, it's a dirty environment, and, so, and you're working a lot because back then and the, and the women, right? And so they kept their hair up out of their, out of their face, 
a little cooler, kept it cleaner. And um, so when she starts wiping his feet with her hair, her hair is, uh, it's like she's exposing her entire sinful self in that culture, right? And then she takes this alabaster jar, this little jar she had on a necklace, and she puts a little perfume on it and she rubs it on Jesus's feet. And you have this smell, clean feet, this beautiful anointing oil going up. Spikenard is an anointing oil. Um, Taylor and Robbie, I, that actually came, that oil came from Jerusalem. I have the rest of the jar in my office via Amazon. But it says it's, it's from Jerusalem, right? And the thing I want, I want to tell you, the thing I want to point out here, the thing I want to point out to us here in church pursuing our faith and I want to point out to people online watching right now all over the world pursuing their faith is that she intentionally positioned herself in the presence of God. And she went into this Pharisee's house. She went into a place where she knew the people really didn't want her and knew who she was, <laughs> as we'll see in a minute. And she was just in awe of Jesus' presence and broke through all the awkwardness of the situation. It didn't matter to her. All that mattered was being in the presence of Jesus. And she would give anything to be there. Because this spike nard, and I believe it'll say this later on, you know, it was worth a ton of money. And so it was, I think, I think it says, well, we'll get to that. I'll go back to that. But she's built it up maybe through prostitution, the money she's earning, maybe through other means, maybe through theft, I don't know. Maybe she just had money and bought it. But she had this tiny little vial of very expensive perfume and she just wanted to give it to Jesus because she didn't care about it for herself so much. She positioned herself to serve Jesus personally, regardless of the cultural norms. And standing behind him at his feet, she does that. And now in verse 39, when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, man, if Jesus were a prophet, he'd know who and what sort of person this woman is who's touching him, that she's a sinner. So the Pharisee, the guy who's keeping the law, right? She's unclean. You, you don't touch her. If you, if you touch her, you can't even serve in the church that week because you're unclean now, right? So he's got, he's got all this stuff going through her, his mind, and you've got to imagine the revulsion, like, ooh, she's touching his feet. You know, that's what I'd say because I'm like, oh, I don't like touching feet or having people touch mine. Uh, I don't know why. Um, pray for me. But anyway, he, she's touching his feet, and she's anointing him, and I don't think Jesus realized, you know, she's the town prostitute or one of them, you know? And this is like the woman at the well in John 4 where she's, she's out by, notice this woman's alone, by the way. She's out by herself because possibly she's been kind of exiled from everybody else. No one wants to be around her. Next time you drive by a homeless person on, on the streets and they're by themselves, whether it's a woman or a man, just think about this story because I do all the time. I think about what's going on in that person's mind. How alone must they be? They've grown used to this awkwardness of people watching them as they walk by, of people telling them to move along, get away. You know, it's kind of the same feeling here. And this is, 
these following verses are why I think Jesus was on kind of an intimate footing with Simon. And I felt, I felt as I was studying this, this intimate footing that I'm on at times with Jesus, or I, I hope I am, and I try to position myself to constantly, and you give me the privilege to do that by having me as your pastor to study hours every week to prepare these messages. But as I do that, I start thinking about the familiarity in a respectful and awe-filled way I have with Jesus, that I, I spend a lot of time with him, talking with him, praying, reading his wisdom, the Bible, being with other people and listening to what they're saying and taking it in, having amazing conversations with people like Michael Belaci and others that drop in, Scott, Travis, that drop into my office and we talk and I learn so much more. I catch a little teeny glimpse of another piece that I was missing of Jesus. But Jesus and Simon, for, or Jesus and this Pharisee, for some reason, have a similar relationship. And so when you read in verse 40, it says that Jesus answered this Pharisee, not that the Pharisee had spoken, he had just thought this, but Jesus knew it and said, Simon, I have something to say to you. And the Pharisee replied, say it, teacher. So Jesus doesn't say, look, you hypocrite. He says, Simon, Barry. You know, it's this, it's this we're friends. I, I, I'm not going to call you father or, or, you know, rabbi or we're friends, right? Simon. I wonder how many people in that town called this Pharisee Simon. I suspect his family. <laughs> and that was about it. And then, so you have this familiarity and this, maybe this familiarity that Jesus wants because obviously he loves Simon. He, he created Simon, right? And Sa Simon seems to recognize the authority of Christ because he calls him teacher. So I'm sure, I didn't look it up, but I'm sure in the original language there, the original Greek, it says rabbi because that's what rabbi means is teacher. And nowadays, maybe you would call him pastor, or elder, or whatever, you know, right? But so there's this mutual recognition. Jesus is recognizing this familiarity and love he has for this person that might even be set against him and is certainly thinking bad things about other people he loves. And Simon has this sense of respect for what Jesus is doing and wants to know more. And I hope that's the position that we have in ourselves, that Jesus can say, He's familiar with us. He is, obviously, he is God. But he's familiar with us in the sense that we are constantly seeking him and we're constantly positioning ourselves to be in his presence so that he can see and be familiar with us intimately. And I hope also that we return a respect and admiration for Jesus like Simon did here, even though we're on completely different footings with God, right? Where we can, we can say, Rabbi, teacher. Today we would say, Lord, Savior. So it's a real intimate setting here. And Jesus goes on. He's going to give a parable because Jesus liked to do this. Made everybody think. And Jesus says in verse 41, okay, listen, Simon. A money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. A denarius was a, was a coin that was worth a day's wages. So, so a money lender had two debtors. One owed him 500 days wages. 
500 denarii, and the other owed him 50. So that's still two months of wages, right? 50 days. And when they were unable to repay, the moneylender graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? And Simon answered and said, well, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And Jesus said to him, you've judged correctly. It's a lot of interesting stuff going on there. I think one of the, 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 mo- the hugest blessings in my life as a Christian person is to be able to talk to someone that used to be ostracized and on the outskirts of culture and society doing horrible things and found the Lord and turned it around. And now is in the company of almost anybody they want to be in because they've become this loving, intimate person that recognizes all this damage in their past, but is a new creation. And, that, and that's my story in some ways. You know, I found Christ at the, literally at the tip of a knife at a suicide attempt, devoting my life against what he wanted for it, or at least living that way, and then finding him and actually finally coming alive, right? And so that's what he's kind of saying here is, is, you know, in youth group people, all the teenagers used to tell me, Scott, I wish I had a testimony like yours. Or we'd get another high schooler that had a pretty tragic testimony, and I would get them to come up and speak sometime, and um, they would say, well, I wish, you know, Caitlin, I had a a testimony like yours. I was just brought up in church. This is all I've ever known. I don't don't really, I kind of wish I'd done bad things so I could could like have a a sweet testimony. And so I realized I had to start having people that were in that category come up and speak too. Because people that were in that category are the unsung heroes of, of the world, in my opinion. Because they've had this foundation of Christ their whole lives. And at some point, they had to wrestle with it and make it their own, if they've done that yet. A lot of our teens and, and uh, young adults are still working that out. But they, they sense this other life they could have, but they also sense that it's not good. And if they'll take the time to think about Scott's testimony or Caitlin's or anybody else's, they'll go, you know, actually, I, I really don't want to go through that. And so they've lived a wiser course, right? And so I admire people that, um, like the people in this room right now that are adults and have grown up in the faith, because some of you have, and this is kind of all you've known all along, and you probably feel a little echo of, I wish I had this awesome testimony, but you do. You have this testimony of what a life looks like that's built the entire time on the foundation of Christ. And you don't have the damage inside of you that many of us carry the thorn in our flesh. And so he's saying, Jesus is saying to this guy, yeah, the one who's greater in debt and has been forgiven, the one who's further away from me and then has been reborn, often is a more passionate person, is often more grateful to the owner, the moneylender in this case, God himself in our cases, right? And then Simon, though, he, he hedges. Like, Simon is clear, clearly an intelligent person. You ever talk to someone about your faith, 
and they're intelligent people because most, you know, most people are pretty intelligent and you can almost kind of sense they're starting to figure out, okay, so I think I'm going to go after this angle next to knock on their faith. And sometimes it's even while you're talking and you can see them trying to form the next thought in their head to come at you with. And um, I think Simon picks this up off of Jesus, actually, because he goes, well, I suppose he didn't say, oh, definitely the person that was forgiven more. He's like, "Uh oh, something's coming. I know Jesus. He's going to turn this around. I don't want to be one of those whitewashed tombs or, you know, hypocrite or him throwing a table or, or cracking a whip at me. Uh Oh, this is going south pretty fast. And so he says in verse 43, I suppose the one you forgave more. And Jesus said to him, you've judged correctly. And turning towards the woman, this is the beautiful part. When Jesus turns towards you, in verse 44, turning towards the woman, Jesus said to Simon, do you see this woman? I mean, do you, do you see this woman? We're in this weird, awkward situation right now. And I think I've proven to you I, know, I knew who she was before she walked in. Maybe even he, he was thinking, I called her to walk in. But you have this awkward, sinning woman who comes in. But she's loving and she's repentant. She's crying and she's devoted. She came in even in the midst of an awkward moment. So don't just judge her, see her. Again, that same thing when I, and it's just easy to talk about here because we face it so much in California. When I drive past a homeless person or I stop and talk with one or, or someone that's on the outskirts or a shut-in in our church or someone that's mentally unstable or whatever, I'm not trying to sit back and go, well, this person's crazy or whatever. I'm just trying to see the person. All those worship songs that are written, if we could just put on glasses that would allow us to see people by God's eyes, right? That's what I'm trying to do because I believe that's what God would have all of us do. Because as long as I just judge that person, that person's left in their own private hell. And when I do that with my unbelieving family and friends, they're literally left in their own personal hell for eternity. It's me trying to see them that makes a difference. This is what went wrong over the last year in America between the politics and the COVID. We didn't want to see each other anymore. We just wanted to judge each other. I read um, uh, some, somewhere I came across this quote this week I've been thinking about that, and the guy was posing what's happened over the last year in America is this idea of you're either at the table, part of the conversation, or you're on the menu. There's no other choice anymore. And I thought, I don't totally agree with that, um, but I, I really resonate with it. And this is what has happened in, I'm sure, the world, really, but in America, in my part of America here in California, maybe, but I think it's the whole country, we've seen this, we've gone through a period where we've judged people really strongly, and maybe we've purposely tried not to see them. And that's never going to work. 
We're under the gospel of grace, according to Paul. Grace is unmerited favor for other people, right? Michael keeps trying to teach me this, and I keep messing it up. Thank you, Michael. But it's this idea, like this woman, she didn't deserve what Jesus is about to say to her. He's, she didn't deserve anything but him to say, I'm God, you're a sinner. You shouldn't even be near me. But that's not what God is about, and that's not what he would have in our lives either. He wants us to see each other. He wants us to walk up to someone and be thinking, what do I know about this person and what they're going through right now and their beliefs and, and their, you don't have to overanalyze it, but you're, you don't go after someone and just judge them like, oh, Californian, liberal or conservative or whatever, you know, or, or whatever the, the case is. Oh, he's not wearing a mask. He's wearing a mask. You know, all this stuff going on. There's some, there's some important things at the root of those judgments, but what we're supposed to see is people. Is people. And I would encourage you as we start new habits post, we're not really post-COVID, but as we start to restart everything, right, I would encourage you to try and see people more. I said this to someone this week, maybe at our lunch uh, with someone, in, um, that every time I get frustrated or angry at a sp a specifically at somebody or a situation, I've now trained myself to trigger myself. And so what I do is when I get frustrated or angry, I, I stop internally and I'm like, why are you frustrated, Scott? Or why are you angry? I'm not judging whatever's setting me off. I'm just asking why me? And it's been a really fascinating journey. And I really encourage you maybe to try this this week. Make this another new habit. Is anytime you're frustrated or angry, ask yourself why? Because what I have found a lot, I'm lucky enough to be surrounded by really loving people here at the church and, and elsewhere out in my life. But what I found a lot is um, they've rubbed up against a belief I have, or they've rubbed up against a way I have of doing something, or they've affronted me, or what have you. Or what I really find most of the time is this person is really stressed. I wonder what I could do to help. I try and see the other person. I don't try and judge the other person or even what they're saying. I just try to see them. And when I do that, I can't explain this. It's almost like my personal faith. When I do that, I feel something in me like, like yes, this is it. This is it. This is the gospel of grace is to try and see other people in other situations, put myself in other people's shoes. Not to say it's always right, not to say I always have the wrong opinion or they have the wrong opinion, but actually to clear that away and just see the other person. How do I love that person better or help that person like Jesus would of this woman? And then I go after that. And it's always good. It's never been bad. So Jesus says in verse 44, turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? Hey, you know, just to point this out, I entered your house, right, for dinner tonight. I entered your house. 
You gave me no water for my feet. You didn't even call a servant over to wash my feet. Your wife's going to be super mad at me because I'm tracking dirt everywhere. Right? You didn't give me any water for my feet. No big deal. I'm just saying you didn't. But she's wet my feet with her tears. So awkward. And wiped them with her hair. You know that hair that points out to you that she's a, a prostitute? Yeah, she washed my feet. So awkward. But it's all she had because you didn't provide a water and a rag. If you had put a, a, a bowl of water and a rag there, she'd probably just come in and do that. But you didn't. You know, you gave me no kiss. I don't know if you've ever traveled out of the United States. It's, it takes forever to get into somebody's house and to leave, especially if you're in a group, because they want to usually kiss you on both cheeks and give you a hug or something, and then they want to do that to the next person and the next person and the next person. If you have, like... I've been on mission trips where there's been, you know, I've led a team of like eight people and there's 12 or 15 people that we're visiting and it becomes this giant love fest for half an hour. I just really want to go. I want to go to bed. It's been a long day. <laughs> but so that's what he's saying here. You didn't give me a kiss. You know, you didn't even greet me when I came in. But she, since the time I came in, hasn't stopped kissing my feet. It's kind of awkward, but she just loves me so much. I mean, she loves what's going on, what she sees, what she knows, what she hears, that she can't stop. She positioned herself. You didn't anoint my head with the oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. You don't waste good perfume on feet. That spikenard anointing oil is anointing oil. It's made to go on your forehead, in your hair, behind your ears, whatever, you know, it's it's typically you don't see a, I don't think women, correct me if I'm wrong. You know, a woman doesn't get up in the morning and like spray perfume on her feet and then put socks and shoes on. I mean, that's just not really what happens. <laughs> um, and that's what Jesus is pointing out here. Like that's what was available to her. Maybe she didn't want to interrupt our discussion, even though this was super awkward. So she didn't come up to my head. She just stayed at my feet. She didn't care. She just wanted to serve. For this reason, I say to you in verse 47, Jesus says, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. Her sins, which are many. How'd you like Jesus? Like you spend all this awkward moment, you pour out yourself literally um, with her tears and everything on the feet of Jesus. And then he says to the person he sit, he's eating with, oh, she's got a lot of sins. I know that. She's a super sinful person. I'd be like, thanks. Um, but he, he acknowledges, though, that she is a sinful woman. He's not saying that she's not. He's not saying to Simon, she's so holy, you're the one that's mistaken. No, he acknowledges, yeah, she's sinning. He acknowledges in my life, in your life, yeah, you're sinning. But he forgives because she loved him much. Some people will tell me that Jesus, and I'm tempted to believe this, by the way, just to be transparent, that Jesus was just a really great guy. He had a great moral compass. He was a diehard follower of God. I sometimes hear in a little Jewish voice from my childhood whispering at me, what if you're wrong and you've made Jesus an idol? How's God going to feel about that? Right? But then I remember passages like this. There's only one 
I'll say person, for lack of a better term, that can forgive sins. I can't forgive your sin. No person on this planet can forgive your sin. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus is clearly telling Simon, demonstrating to Simon through these words, that he is God. This is C.S. Lewis's classic argument of Lord, lunatic, or liar, right? Jesus was, was either crazy and thought he was... Oh, I got you careful my finger is. He was crazy and he, he, he thought he was Jesus, right? We've had plenty of people that claim to be the Messiah or claim to be God that are crazy so that he'd be a lunatic. Or he flat out lied. He knew he wasn't, but he was purposely manipulating people. Or he, he was Lord. There's really not another spot in there. I mean, you can try and, and uh, you know, if you're online or in here or whatever, or on uh, texts or emails later or whatever, you can try and tell me another thing Jesus could have been, but he can't. He couldn't have even been a rabbi if he's claiming he can forgive sins. Simon would never, this Pharisee would never say, I can forgive sins. Only God can forgive sins. And so he tells Simon, her sins are a lot, but she's been forgiven because she's loved a lot. And she's positioned herself for repentance and forgiveness. And she doesn't care what it takes. But then he also turns to her. Because notice he hasn't spoken to her yet. All he's done is like made it, Simon and Jesus have sort of made it more awkward. They're talking about this awkward woman who came in off the streets, known horrible sinner, came and started this awkward thing. They're talking about her in the third person, even though she's right there. And so Jesus chooses this at this moment to turn to her and speak directly to her. And he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. He wants to say it again. I am God. I have the power to forgive sins. Your sins have been forgiven. When Jesus tells us to confess and repent, to be baptized in the baptism of repentance, and then to follow him, to continue when uncovering stuff in us that's not good and confessing that out of us and repenting of it and leaving it and not doing that anymore. It's a cleansing process over and over again. He forgives. The thing with us, with the great testimony, with stuff in our past, is it's like baggage that we have to work on setting down and walking away from. Because it comes at a price. The wages of sin are death. But Jesus has the power to forgive that. And only Jesus. Simon could not do that. A priest, a Pharisee, could not do that. Only God can forgive sins. And then those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, so this is probably Simon's family, who is this man that even forgives sins? Because only God can forgive sins. And he says to the woman again, your church attendance has saved you. Go in peace. Nah. 
He says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. How would that feel, man? I, re I vaguely remember it in my 20s, actually starting to follow it in my 30s here, where something new has happened, where I'm, I don't just understand what the right godly thing is to do, but I go after it. And I start modeling my life after it. And that's where everything changes. That's also the reason why I keep leaning into in-person services because it's hard for us to go after things when we're alone and kind of not motivated to do that. Or maybe I'm just speaking about myself. <laughs> and especially when we're, we're still sort of isolated a little bit, right, for safety's sake, it's hard to be useful for the kingdom to position ourselves to serve Jesus to serve God if we're not together and doing that if we're not with someone else and then Jesus just says go in peace the thing I love about being a follower of Jesus is that yeah it's hard and you've got to acknowledge when you go off the rails and when you first encounter Jesus, if this is you listening right now, and you really are encountering him, but you really haven't what we call accepted him, the Bible tells us if you believe in your heart, if you believe deep down inside of you that Jesus is Lord, and you're willing to confess that to anybody that asks you with your mouth, so you've made a real strong commitment, right, that you are saved. Jesus points out here that that sends us away in peace. He doesn't just forgive the woman and then let her kind of wander off crying back out into the streets. I almost, I wish they had recorded like the body language going on. Did he go over and hug her and wipe her tears away and look her deep in the eyes and say, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Just go in peace. And to see her countenance just change maybe, right? Maybe she went in peace. If she goes back into her life of, of whatever the sinfulness was, that's not peace. So he's actually telling her, go, but go in peace with God, right? And so he tells us the same thing nowadays. Jesus doesn't just say, yeah, you're a sinner, I forgive you. He, he doesn't leave us where we are. He lifts us up. He puts out a hand. He pulls us up into his embrace. And then he tells us we can now go in peace with him. We're at peace with him. We're at peace with God through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who has saved us from the death of our sins. And that's why we call him our Savior. And if you're listening today and you haven't made that commitment and you've wondered what that means or how that works, I just want to encourage you to pick up a Bible and go somewhere in person and speak to somebody who's a follower of Jesus and ask them about it and begin the journey. Get out of the hard death of your, uh, as the result of your sins and go find the way to peace. Peace in life, yeah.
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah. So Robert was talking about um, that time when uh, they brought in a woman who was caught in adultery. So I don't know if you've ever thought that through, but she was actually caught in the act of adultery and dragged out of that bed to the, in front of Jesus. And he, he says, okay, they want to stone her to death, throwing large rocks at her till she dies. And he says, okay, the first one of you guys without sin, any sin at all, you go ahead and throw the first stone. Maybe he just stepped away then. You know, he doesn't want to get hit. And everybody just slowly, one after the other, dropped their rocks and turned around and left. And he says to that woman, go and sin no more. Jesus knows that we have sin that we need to atone for, especially before we meet him in a significant way, before we believe in our hearts and are willing to confess with our mouths that he is our Lord, something else is. And so he knows all of that, and he wants to forgive all that, but he also wants to lift us up into peace and send us out to live a life filled and fruitful with the peace that he brings. We can chase after a lot of material things. I've thought about this so much in this move I'm in right now, um, you know, where I'm chasing after my forever home, my, my next house, right? And um, I know where my forever home is. So when people tell me that, I'm like, let me tell you about, no, I don't. <laughs> I have once, actually. Let me tell you about Jesus. That's my forever home. But, but these material things are so fleeting, right? They're just so fleeting and they take so much work and they take so much energy and they take, they just take it. They suck it off of us. And it's important stuff, you know, it's important stuff, but the thing that will bring us peace is only Jesus. And I want to encourage you, if, if you feel a lack of peace in your life, or you just feel a desire for more peace, I'd encourage you to go position yourself to be in Jesus' presence just a little bit more this week. She had to go where he was. If she, she could have walked by the house. Well, Jesus is in there, but Simon's in there too, and it's going to be weird. And uh, he's going to tell Jesus, you know, all the stuff. I'm just going to move on. I'll just keep going. It's not like it's going to make me worse. I'm just not going to do that. But she, ha she purposed her life to go meet Jesus and to find peace. You have to do the same. I have to do the same. It takes effort. It takes positioning. It takes intentionality. And I want to encourage you to find that in your life. Let me pray for you. Father God, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for this beautiful little scene with uh, these three people and more, Simon and Jesus. And uh, just occurred to me, even an unknown, unnamed woman. I just, uh, I thank you that this is a story of us. That once the, the world was looking at us and judging us, and probably rightly so, and we were judging ourselves, and yet you came along and said to the world, mm, this is mine. Thank you for coming into our lives and encouraging us to find you, to find peace. There's so many people out there that don't have that peace, yet I just pray that they would find that, that they would find you, because you are the Prince of Peace. Peace. 
I just pray that you would pour into our lives this desire to position ourselves, regardless of the awkwardness, the, regardless of the exposure, regardless of our feelings, our emotions, that you would just, you would position us to be in your presence and to serve you more every single day for the rest of our lives. Because at the end of this life, we just want to hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Now come and enter into your rest. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week, everybody. Thank you for being here and for watching online.